Kevin, I feel like we say this every year, but I can't believe that we're already starting December. It's coming and it's coming fast. When this podcast releases, we'll be a few days into Advent. Can you believe it? Yeah, no, no possible way. Like it hits us fast every year, but Halloween was just yesterday. It was yesterday. (laughs) It hits fast every year, but it feels faster this year. Um, but I think as we prepare for the season of Advent, prepare for the season of preparation, um, <laughs> yeah. I think it's important to take a minute and consider what Advent is exactly. Hmm. It's not like pre-Christmas or baby Christmas or that time where we shop a lot and plan our menus for Christmas dinner. Um, but it's an intentional time of preparation, um, not just for all the festivities, but in our hearts um, yeah. and our souls. Um, Advent is a season of waiting and expectation leading up to the birth of Christ. During this season of Christmas, we remember that the Christmas story begins before Christ was born. Um, There was work to be done uh, to prepare for the birth of a baby, and there's work to be done in our hearts to prepare for that birth as well. Yeah. We hear John the Baptist calling out to us in the wilderness to prepare the way. We listen to the angel's good news of of new birth with Mary, and we sing her song of justice for all people. And we do all of this in the context of worship and in our own um, lives as well, as we anticipate the celebration of Christ's birth, sure, but also as we anticipate new birth and new creation that is yet to come. So this podcast episode will help us hopefully center ourselves and prepare for this new birth, a new way of being in the world that is coming and has come and will come again. I love that. I love how we are called to really prepare and focus on this waiting, this great anticipation. And what better text for us to meditate on today than Mary's Magnificat? Uh, Yes. It's one of my favorite texts in all of scripture. It's this text of justice, of vision, of hope. Hope, yeah, lifting others up, mm. bringing people into this kingdom reality that is for you know the whole world. Such an inclusive song, I love it. Absolutely. So today, I thought that my friend Aurelia Davila Pratt would be perfect mm. to interview. Um, so. I know her because she is also a graduate of Truett Seminary and the Garland yeah. School of Social Work at Baylor University, sick where bears. I graduated from. Exactly. Sick on <laughs> bears. Yes. So if you don't know her, Aurelia is a pastor, a writer, a paradigm shifter. She was also listed as one of the top 10 Christian women shaping the church in 2022 by Sojourners magazine. She is the lead pastor and founder of Peace of Christ Church in Round Rock, Texas. And she also serves on lots of different boards, just like me. (laughs) She is (laughs) busy. busy. Yeah, exactly. So she's currently chair of the board for Nevertheless She Preached, which is a conference Mm -hmm. and co-chair of the Religious Liberty Council for the Baptist Joint Committee in Washington, D.C., And she's also the chair of the Board of Advocates for the Diana R. Garland School of Social Work. Mm. Um, She's a regular contributor for Progressing Spirit, Alliance of Baptists, and Good Faith Media as well. So she has a lot of time on her hands. Yeah, or not a lot of time on her hands (laughs) at all, depending on how you look at it. 
And she recently just published a book called A Brown Girl's Epiphany, Reclaiming or Reclaim Your Intuition and Step Into Your Power, which is phenomenal. I encourage everyone listening mm-hmm. to buy this book. You won't regret it. Me too. It's uh, totally worth your time. Yeah. So we are really excited to have Reverend Aurelia Davila Pratt here with us today. Welcome to Because It Is, a conversation about faith, justice, and other things that matter. This podcast is hosted by Second Baptist Downtown in Little Rock, Arkansas. Second Baptist is a vibrant, historic downtown congregation whose faith compels us to seek justice, care for the oppressed, and pattern our lives after the way of Jesus. We are a unique Baptist church that prioritizes diversity and inclusion for all. In this episode, we talk with pastor and author Aurelia Davila Pratt about her new book published this year, Brown Girl Epiphany. Aurelia is the founder and lead pastor of Peace of Christ Church, a sacred community in the heart of Central Texas, doing the work of radical love and disruptive peacemaking. We spend time considering the Magnificat as a sound of justice and how we might embrace and embody the Mago Day this Advent season. So Aurelia's book begins with these opening words. We are a people who want to be seen and known. This is a book about seeing and knowing yourself. We are a people who don't always know how to trust. This is a book about radically trusting yourself. We are a people who crave a sense of home. This is a book about tending to the home within yourself. We are a people who seek healing and wholeness. This is a book about the medicine inside yourself. This is a book about returning to a memory that was always true. This is a book about us, God within me and God within you. I love that. I just can't help but think what better season to consider God with us and God within us than an Advent. And what better song to guide us than the Magnificat? Hmm, Absolutely. Aurelia, thanks for being with us today to walk us through this conversation. And as we get into it, I'd like to start with hearing your thoughts in general about the Magnificat as a song of justice. We'll get more detailed as we go, but it's not just this pretty lullaby full of excitement and hope. Um, So where do you see justice in this song? Yeah, you know, I really see... Um, God's preferential treatment of the poor all over the Magnificat. So, you know, that's a theme in liberation theology. Um, And I think people often want to know, like, where, where exactly? I mean, we see it all throughout the Bible, but man, if you want it just summarized (laughs) in, in one text, this beautiful song really, really highlights God's love for those most vulnerable in society, those on the margins. Um, and of course, Mary being the most unlikely vessel <laughs> for divinity to be born. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I, 
wonder, like for you with your social work background mm -hmm. as well and being a preacher and just being involved in so many um, justice areas, mm -hmm. like how do you live into the Magnificat? Magnificat? How does this song also like guide you in your day to day? Yeah. You know, I, um, I call myself an Imago Dei enthusiast mm. and I, I like to say like, um, is it Steve Jobs, the Apple guy? Yeah. 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 Like he wore the same shirt every day. Like that's how I am with Imago Dei. Like if you follow me, you'll probably get tired of hearing about it, but I'm <laughs> never going to stop wearing this shirt. I'm going to wear this shirt every day. Um, and I, I see it in the Magnificat, like Mary choosing to, to use her observations of how she experienced God, um, apart from anyone else's permission mm -hmm. and choosing to celebrate when God chooses her, even though societally she had no reason, mm -hmm. you know, to celebrate herself. Mm -hmm. um, she chose to celebrate herself. She chose to use her spirit instincts and her observations to compose this song. And for me, she is truly embodying a belief in her own Imago Dei by uttering these words. And so, you know, I often feel like I'm not in justice spaces. I'm as someone, you, you may feel this sometimes if you're working in a church, unless your church work is holding hands with some kind of local work or service sometimes it can feel like oh, i'm not doing the work of justice i'm just <laughs> i'm just i'm i'm doing something easier or something even though that's not true the church, the work of the church is its own work and it's and it's not easy sometimes i find myself you know seeing other people and going oh they're doing real work <laughs> um but then but then i'm remind myself that our inner work is so important and the church doesn't just serve others. The church doesn't just um, try to do good in the community and, you know, serve its own congregation. Um, the church is also a sacred space where we help people thrive and we help people tend to their inner landscape so that they can sustain the justice work that we're all tasked with. Um, and so that inner work, that Imago Dei embodiment is so important because we truly won't be able to, you know, keep up <laughs> with the work that's required of us of bringing heaven to earth if we are not in a place of groundedness mm -hmm. and in a, have a, having a spiritual tether that is feeding us and energizing us and fueling us for the work of justice. I love that. Cause is that what this song is for Mary? It's her grounding. It's her, her ritual of worship so that then she can go out and do this really, really hard task ahead of her. Um, yeah. I love that framing. Thank you. Yeah. Love how you stressed, you know, the inner work that we have to do ourselves too. And in your book, you write about decolonizing. I'd love to read a little piece of that. Um, we decolonize whenever we question the narratives we inherited and elevate the voices of those historically on the margins of society. We decolonize whenever we actively untangle ourselves from systems of oppression and embody the necessary reparations. We decolonize our minds and our lives by opening our eyes to the harmful faith paradigms we've unknowingly embraced. 
think about my own life and how much I still need to decolonize, mm-hmm. right? Like it is an everyday struggle for me, especially as a person of color here in America, um, an Asian American man, even though I know that I don't have as many hardships maybe as other um people in this country, but there are lots of things that I internalize um, because of white supremacy and the white supremacy culture that is all around us. And I'm wondering for you, what what did decolonization look for you? What does help us understand um, how we ourselves can enter into this process? Or maybe even if we're in this process, just some words of wisdom and affirmation for us. Well, um, I love that quote. <laughs> I know it's not a quote. That's it's just, good. It's a good quote. Um, you know, first of all, I think no matter where we are, where our where we are in terms of our the various intersections of our identities, it can be easy for shame to rise up and out in this work, and then to get so bogged down by that that we get afraid or defensive or overwhelmed. And that's why, again, the message of Imago Day is so important to me, because if you know who you are and you really are embodying that you're a child of God, then you can sit in this non-dual posture mm-hmm. of, okay, it's not such a binary. It's not like I'm either doing it or I'm in shame or like it's my fault or, you know what I mean? Like this really rigid way of engaging these hard things. We can actually just, you know, hear criticisms. We can self-examine and we can, um, we can take in information that is paradoxical in nature and hold several truths in tension at once. And we can do all of these kinds of things, um, without, you know, being so hard on ourselves. Um, and because the shame part of it really gets people to shut down from even engaging these kinds of concepts. Um, but when we realize we don't have to be ashamed, we can engage this work without without that, <laughs> um, it, it just changes how we engage it. And we can instead be a little bit more open to mystery. We can be a little bit more lighthearted. It doesn't have to be so heavy. It can be, you know, a lighthearted journey of, oh, I messed up. I don't believe that anymore. Uh, You know, oops, I'm sorry. (laughs) Like, you know, um, we can be a little bit more lighthearted and playful in how we engage um, the work of decolonization. And of course, that doesn't mean we're not serious and that we don't take, you know, to heart the things that um, we may be complicit in or we may need to change. I mean, absolutely lament and um, confession and, you know, all of these things are a part of that journey too. I just think that with Imago Day in tow, we don't have to totally spiral. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, I really do. I'm resonating with all that you're saying, especially as, as a white woman on this journey, I have a lot of decolonization to do um, some deconstructing of white supremacy. And I've I felt that temptation to be defensive, to be full of shame um, for what's happening, for what I didn't know, um, for what I should have known. Um, And so that reminder that I love your image of paradox, that I can have not known that and messed up, 
and still be a beautiful created child of God. Like both of those things can be true. It's not an either or mm. um, has always, that's a really good reminder for me. And it allows me to sit and, and let both of those things be true um, instead of le- letting them compete with each other. Um, and I, yeah, I just, I really resonated with your chapter on mystery and paradox. You reminding us that we can sit in that, that we have a God who is mysterious and, you know, Advent and Christmas are such seasons of mystery. So I don't know, will you talk a little bit more about mystery? Why is it hard for us to embrace that, that and the paradoxes? Um, why is our dualistic mind so much more comfortable and how might Advent help us untangle some of this? Yeah, I mean, I'm not like an expert in, you know, all these, like, I'm not a, a, his, a history professor or something, but I know that it's a Western concept for us to, that we've been, a lot of us have been shaped within this paradigm of either or black and white um, rigid thinking. And, you know, Richard Rohr says this works great for science. It works great for, you know, math, <laughs> but like when it comes to the things of God, we have got to become more practiced in, um, being in a posture of paradox, a posture of, you know, accepting the mystery and uncertainty. And I don't think we can't do it. I just think that our muscles are weak. Like we just need to lift some weights. <laughs> we yeah. just need to yeah. do some spiritual work so that we get stronger. It's not a matter of whether or not we can do it. We just, we're just not used to it. We're not practiced in it. And um, our muscles, you know, just need to get worked out in that area. Um, and what so, yeah. So oh, you share with us some of your um, Advent or Christmas exercise routines. <laughs> how do we, so yeah how do we use the season to <laughs> well practice i you know i just preached on sunday and my sermon was all about um what was it about it was about the sunrise and and how i basically now when people ask me like what what about spiritual practice or prayer? I'm like, I watch the sunrise. <laughs> and they're like, what? But like, basically for years, I would get up and watch the sunrise. And, you know, I'm raised in that. Well, I grew up Catholic, but then I got indoctrinated into the evangelical world. And so I was like doing quiet times and all of that when I was a teenager. And, yeah. um, and so <laughs> for a long time, I, I gave up anything and I was just watching the sunrise and just, I don't know. I didn't consider it a spiritual practice, but then I was reading Mark Charles's book, Unsettling Truths, um, mm-hmm. which he's an indigenous um, speaker, faith leader and uh, activist. And he's, he's amazing. But anyways, in his introduction, he was talking about the spirituality of the sunrise and, and he like went into pages of detail about his spiritual practice of watching the sunrise every day. And I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> That's what I've been doing. I've been praying. Mm-hmm. I've been practicing a faith. I've been consistently like practicing a faith that has shaped and formed me. And I just, because it didn't fit the mold of like the things we're taught we're supposed to do. I didn't realize that. So my big thing with Advent, Christmas, any time of year is to um, practice the, practice the, the spiritual work of awareness. Like, mm-hmm. Don't compare, let go of comparing yourself to other people. Let go of the need for prescriptions and checklists because that's us using old tools to move ahead in a new faith um, paradigm 
but we're trying to do it in the old way where we like need someone to tell us what to do and need. And so I, I always want people to like, look at the rhythm of their own lives. Like, what are you already doing? What's give what gives you joy? What would it mean to listen to your own body? Mm-hmm. Um, and to, to listen to your body over your checklist and then like lean into that deeper because that is very likely where your most authentic spiritual posture is. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, and Advent's such a beautiful time to do that. I mean, you could just, I love to get up early and just sit, light the Advent candle in the dark and listen to, mm-hmm. you know, music um, or if at night, if you're a night person, but like, it doesn't have to be this magic trick. It's just what connects you is it a walk is it you know time outside in in your garden or a cup of coffee I mean it doesn't you know what I mean like I can't I don't have answers yeah. <laughs> that's good that's you don't have answers but you gave us three and I think that's a really important thing and I think it's also like this awareness of how God is already drawing you mm. like yes. God is already there in the sunrise right and mm. just like you said that awareness mm. of where God is, where God is drawing you, how God is already using the time that you're, that you're spending. And that's a, yeah, that's a beautiful reminder. Thank you for that. Yeah. So, um, you also talk about embodiment and how disconnected we have become from our bodies. Um, I think this is especially true of us, the century, and maybe even, during the pandemic um with all the chaos that Mm -hmm. has gone around um and yet um we were made with flesh god came down in flesh and dwelt among us so how do you see this season of advent being a season of us embracing bodies um our body and maybe our body as good and beautiful think that's something that we need to remind ourselves all the time right that our bodies are good to kind of fight against that gnostic notion of um bodies being evil um can you speak a little bit into that you know this is such a tricky conversation because there's so much privilege in this conversation Mm -hmm. when it comes to listening to your body and then what to do with the cues your body is sending you just Mm -hmm. want to acknowledge that not everybody works from home. (laughs) You know, we all have different circumstances. And, and so sometimes with me listening to my body, I'm able to, to have more of a flexibility with, with my life because I'm home, you know, I'm not, I don't have the, the, um, the rigid rigidity of having to be away for the whole day. And you know what I mean? And so I've always want to acknowledge that. Um, but, but okay, not, but, and at the same time, um, I do think that we could all do a better job listening to our bodies. And I think that we, not all of us, but many of us are really not practiced in this either because of the theology we've inherited that sort of stressed our spirit, um, stressed, you know, soul good, body bad, and kind of stressed that we deny ourselves. Um, We can't really see our spirit, but we can see and feel and touch our body. So when we ingest theology, that's like constantly talking about denying ourselves, 
we take it out on our bodies. And so Mm -hmm. I think during this holiday and Advent season, you know, how can you honor your body? How can you be mindful of the way you treat yourself um, physically, um, but also just the way you speak to yourself and the way you think about yourself and the way you see yourself? Um, All of these things, I think, could be a valuable practice, um, no matter what your day-to-day life looks like. Um, and you know, my, this is, I, this is kind of going off into a somewhat of a tangent. Um, but my daughter, she's six and sometimes she'll say like mean things, you know, she, she's at that age where like, she gets really frustrated if she doesn't do something right. If she doesn't draw something, how she wanted it to come out. And she'll be like, Ugh, this is terrible, you know? And I told her, I am going to start treating you the same way I would treat you if you were mean to someone else, when you are mean to yourself, I'm going to start giving you the same consequences as I, as I would give you if you had done that to another person. So the consequences will be that you will apologize to yourself. You will. <laughs> And so um, anyways, but the same concept is with our embodiment yeah. is like, how are you treating your body? And would you treat another body that way? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and like really just being mindful about that, um, whatever that may look like. Let's like be kind. We cannot embody Imago Day if we're not also physically, you know, s- s- treating our bodies as good. Yeah. And I'm just, I'm thinking about all that our bodies do for us um, and all that they can do for us. Um, if we'll see the gift that it is, I think we rarely stop to give thanks for bodies that allow us to feel and, and do and go and be present and, um, to taste what I heard in this is that I should eat the Christmas cookie. Yes. Uh, <laughs> That's exactly what I said. <laughs> Not beat myself up for it. Right. Absolutely. Uh, so let's shift gears just a little bit, kind of taking us back toward the Magnificat. Um, I really latched on to your chapter about the divine feminine. Um, And I think as I was thinking about the Magnificat and Advent especially, and you challenge us that speaking of God in only masculine terms is really not healthy, but neither is going straight straight the opposite direction and speaking of God in gender neutral terms only. Um, And you challenge us to kind of recapture God as feminine. And I think Mary in the Magnificat kind of helps us to do that. So can you help us, how can, how is Advent a catalyst for this intentionality? How can we be more intentional so that we might better understand God? Why is this important in the first place? Yeah. I mean, I, I, that is such an important chapter to me. I mean, I actually, part of me felt like I could have just written a whole book on that chapter, but there are really great books already out there, like Thy Queendom Come, which I quote um, in, in my chapter um, by Kendall Rothis, but Basically, um, you know, I think for a lot of us, it's baby steps out of that paradigm of he, him language for God, because it is so radical. And like I say in my book, like nothing, nothing I could say or do as a pastor um, gets more of a response, like talking about God as she, mm-hmm. and I'm not talking about in my community necessarily. I mean, just across the board. But um, that's why it's so important to me, though, that we don't just shift 
because a lot of people want to shift from he, him into neutral, just replace God, he with God, mm-hmm. him with God. <laughs> There's a lot of God. And I did that. And I do that often. Um, still, it just depends on what kind of mood I'm in, which pronoun I try- decide to use. <laughs> but, um, but I think that that's not enough because what we're trying to do is, is, um, change a paradigm because so that our children can receive the full image of God mm-hmm. so that they can see God in themselves so that they can practice Imago Dei better than we've been able to. Mm-hmm. And they're not going to get that if we don't, you know, use all the pronouns, but, but it begins with doing the radical thing of she, her, for me, because that is so radical to people. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm talking about in on Sunday mornings, I'm saying when you sing your songs and you read your scripture, like we need to be using she, her, we need to be using they, them, mm-hmm. and we need to be, um, seeing how often we're doing all of that because it really makes a difference. And, you know, people in my community, I see them like, they're really, um, shifting and it's so beautiful and like the other day someone was doing the children's sermon and she 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 was saying like he a lot at first for god which is fine people can use whatever pronoun they want we just as leaders try to you know change the paradigm but then she was like i could see her like catching herself and she was like and we also refer to god as she and like she like started so like in the middle of the sermon she like she like saw an awareness that she might not have a year ago or two years ago. And Mm -hmm. she said, you know, to the kids in the kids sermon, like, and God is also, she, um, you know, (laughs) and I just thought that was such a beautiful, um, pivot, you know, and we need to be doing that a lot more often, um, on Sunday mornings. Yeah. And, and Mary is such a good way to help us think about the divine mother. Um, Will you talk a little bit about Mary? I know that you were raised Catholic. What what Baptists have such a <laughs> tense history with Mary? I know. But what do we need to recover? Uh, I feel like there's something there for us. Could you help us think that through? Yeah, and you you y'all probably saw in my book where I talk about how much I love Mary because I I grew up Catholic, and I you know I still in adulthood in hindsight reflecting like why did I love her so much and what I had concluded was I loved her so much because she was an entry point into Mother God. She was this access point um, where I could access the divine feminine. And of course, when I um, kind of moved from Catholicism into evangelicalism, I kind of got reprimanded for you know, how I would speak about Mary or that relationship. And so when I kind of did a lot of, started to do a lot of deconstructing and came out of that, I reclaimed that beautiful mystical relationship that um, really represented my childlike faith Mm -hmm. um, with Mary. And so it really is a good way to talk about it and think about the imagery, why the imagery is so important to us and where we're lacking that people are so drawn, you know, um, to Mary, because it's like really our only access in the Christian faith. Um, and even then it freaks people out big time. Um, but then as I was reading the Magnificat for this conversation, I realized it wasn't just Mary bringing me into divine femininity, it was also Brown Mary, Mm -hmm. like Brown Mary, Mm -hmm. um, really 
was healing for me. And I don't think I realized that in childhood. I think it's more of a more recent reflection. And even just reflecting for this, some mm-hmm. memories were coming up. And um, and yeah, I brought I I started a poem that I'm gonna post at some point, but um I talk about it. <laughs> I talk about it more a little bit in there. Yeah, I love that. Like when you read this song with the awareness that a brown woman mm. is saying these words, a brown woman who is, you know, not only marginalized, but she herself is second class, you know, like severely second class under Roman occupation and colonialized and colonized. Um, how powerful and bold those words are. Mm. Like, to speak for her to speak at all right for somebody who's been told she has no voice is miracle in itself but then to speak with such um like you said awareness of the imago imago dei in her um is even more miraculous yeah she um i mean just that her songs remembered that it was written down you Mm. know and canonized is kind of i mean against all odds right (laughs) um it's pretty amazing yeah, I have this icon of Black Mary in my office. Um, it's an icon from Ethiopia. And how powerful is that to um, kind of do like a a meditation on that image while listening to this song? Um, I think yeah. that does something to us. Totally. Yeah. I, so in my the poem that I'm working on, I am reflecting on this memory of childhood, which I honestly forgot about until it's so crazy. I read the Magnificat every year. I read it over (laughs) and over. And this memory came up today where I am at this camp. It's when I was still in the Catholic church and I was in elementary school and we were doing a, um, like a play for the, like a Christmas pageant kind of thing. Um, and it, and it was like, everyone was going to get parts and lines and they were going to pick and, Um, then when the parents came to pick us up, everyone was going to watch. And it was like the first time I was, you know, having an opportunity like this. And I was so excited. Um, and you know, I had like, I mean, this is probably not a surprise now because I'm a pastor, I'm a speaker, I'm a writer, but even at that young age, I was sort of like the smart kid. I was like really a great reader and a great speaker. And so it was sort of like in the bag and for all my friends, like, we're like, you're going to get to be Mary. You're going to get to be Mary. Uh, <laughs> and so I was so excited, you know, cause I never got these opportunities at school for same kind of reasonings. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was not at school. I was at this camp. So, and in the end, this little girl, fair skin, blonde hair gets Mary and I'm Elizabeth, which is exciting. Cause I had some lines. <laughs> I was, I was reflecting back and it really felt it's like, okay, if that's one time, whatever, but this happened all the time growing up. And it was one of these things where it felt like, um, it felt like the token, like you never saw people of color growing up on TV and in movies, there was always one. So Mm -hmm. like if I was playing with my friends and we're playing say by the bell, I'm, I'm not black. Right. But I'm Lisa turtle. I don't get to be Kelly. I don't get to be Jesse. I'm Lisa. If we're playing power Rangers, I'm Trini, the yellow power Ranger. And I'm, I'm not, you know, um, 
South Asian or like, I don't know exactly where she was from or where she was supposed to be from, but we're not the same ethnicity, but because I'm not white, I could not play the white characters according to my own friends. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it was always this feeling and maybe Kevin, you understand this where you can only relate to one person, maybe in every movie or every TV show as a child. Um, And so it's like, okay, that's par for the course, but to experience this at church where, you know, you're not good enough to be the, the, the leading person, you're going to be, you know, the other, that's how those things register when they happen over and over and over again. Um, And so this experience of you know, oh, actually you need to have fair skin to get leading parts, (laughs) Um, was like a childhood experience. And it happened with Mary. And then this realization, like, but Mary is brown, (laughs) like Mary's skin looks like mine. Mary, you know, Mary's a reflection of my own divinity and Mm -hmm. like going back to my child self and remembering that and wishing that I would have seen that. And like, but I did see it. I just don't think I had the words for it. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. 100. <laughs> it was really long. <laughs> because the, the because it's risky to share little stories like that, right? Because I sound like, oh, I'm complaining. I should have been the whatever, the lead per like that's what you risk when you share those little microaggression moments that happen over the course of your whole life. Um, just like I do in my book. <laughs> They're like not that big of a deal, but they they kind of add up and send a message when you're a child. Um, so yeah. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that with us. And that's an important story for us to hear. Uh, I don't think any of us hear that is not a big deal. Um, or I hope not because I do think <laughs> those are the messages we're sending our kids. And I think it's something for us to be aware of, like you said earlier, hopefully they can see the Imago Dei in themselves a little bit better than we could. At their yeah. Age. Yeah. And all, all of our kids, of course, but hopefully when I finish this poem, it will be much more well-spoken <laughs> than me just telling yeah, we look forward to that. Mm-hmm. Well, we'd love to hear you read the Magnificat for us, if you're willing. Yeah, let me grab. That would be so powerful to hear the song through your voice. So I'm reading 46 through 55. Is that correct? Yeah, that's great. Okay. This is from the Inclusive Bible. Have y'all have y'all seen this copy? Yes, and I'll link to the show notes too so others can have an opportunity. The first egalitarian translation. I really like it. I've been using it a lot the last few years. Okay, I'm going to read then. Mary said, My soul proclaims your greatness, O God, and my spirit rejoices in you, my Savior. For you have looked with favor upon your lowly servant, and from this day forward, all generations will call me blessed. For you, the Almighty, have done great things for me, and holy is your name. Your mercy reaches from age to age for those who fear you. You have shown strength with your arm. You have scattered the proud in their conceit. You have deposed the mighty from their thrones and raised the lowly to high places. You have filled the hungry with good things, while you have sent the rich away empty. You have come to the aid of Israel, your servant, mindful of your mercy, the promise you made to our ancestors, to Sarah and Abraham and their descendants forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Aurelia, 
It has been an absolute pleasure. So much fun Mm -hmm. getting to speak with you. Love getting to see you and hear your voice always and can't wait for us to hang out again, hopefully sometime soon. Yeah, thank you for having me. Yes, thank you for sharing. I'm excited to share this conversation with the rest of our church. And um, to take us away, can you um, just share with our listeners how they can get your book, how they can connect with your work and so forth? Yeah, um, you can get my book anywhere. Books are sold. It's also on Audible if you'd rather listen to it. I'm reading um, I'm reading it. And um, yeah, (laughs) that was really fun to get to, to speak it out loud. Um, I have a website, it's revareliajoy.com. And I'm most active on Instagram at revareliajoy. And uh, I do a lot of, well, most often I like to do some poetry and share. Um, I'll share from my sermons and and things like that. It's just a little space for me to curate the, the work and offerings I'm creating. Amazing. Well, we will post all those links in the show notes so that everyone can get a chance to connect with you. Thank you again so much, Aurelia. Thank you so much. We really appreciate your time. Thanks, y'all. Kevin, I'm really glad that you invited your friend Aurelia to speak with us today. She's incredible. She great? I want to be her new best friend. Yeah. Um, so you can let her know that. Okay. Um, I met her when I was, was still in the social work program. Um, there was an event for these dual degree students to come and mingle and hang out. And she was there to talk about her experience. And I was like, she is a woman that I need to know. Yeah. And I'm so glad that we kept up after all these years. Oh, I am too. I'm glad that she's now a friend and a friend of 2BC, I think. Yeah. Um, she doesn't know she has a fan club from afar, but she does. <laughs> um, I was so, the other thing I love about, I want her fashion sense in that I loved her um, image of being an Imago Day enthusiast, yeah. kind of like Steve Jobs, who always wore the same shirt. Like, I want I my cannot. own Imago but, Day. Yeah. In th- <laughs> <laughs> no, you couldn't. It's okay. But I want my own Imago Day enthusiast shirt that I can just wear out because she's right. It's everywhere. It's in everything. And I think it changes mm-hmm. everything when we are able to see ourselves as the image of God. Um, yeah. But God it bears. really takes intentional awareness. It does. Like every day you do have to make a choice to wear that Imago Day enthusiast shirt. Yeah. Don't you? And I feel like sometimes we, I think why I loved that image so much is sometimes I think I need that t-shirt on to remind me. Mm, to um, look in the mirror yeah to remind me that you yeah. are made in the image of god and so is everyone else that you meet mm. and that this is what we're about absolutely um, yeah it was such a brilliant metaphor and now i'm gonna have to go cricket or a shirt that says imago day enthusiast as yeah. a thank you so sometimes we i mean we have all these different layers of identity that we all carry with us at all times and sometimes these identities are um more seen than others in certain circumstances and sometimes those identities are also filled with shame Mm. right like we're ashamed of our skin color we're ashamed of our Mm. sexual orientation we're ashamed of our disability or our ignorance our privilege even sometimes and how 
like sometimes it feels like the Imago Day is more pronounced in certain layers of our identity than others. Uh, yeah. And we have to do the work to uncover it in the ones that we hide away yeah. from ourselves. Because all of these layers equals wholeness, mm. right? Like, And I loved her idea that uh, Imago Day is one of the, I don't know, antidotes or medicines even to to this shame hmm. that remembering that practicing um cultivating in us the remind the remembrance the holding it in front of us i'm trying to think of what i'm trying to say but knowing standing in that solidarity of our imago day is what kind of combats the shame that we feel and i loved how right i loved how she reminded us that we can then learn more and do better and have hard conversations hmm. when we can keep that imago day to the front it fights back the shame that keeps us from being productive and yeah to and from learning in these circumstances because we are the image of god yeah even and man i love tashira like it's the imago day that lets us hold this paradox that i can be wrong about something or i can be um, ignorant about something human or broken yeah. in some ways that I didn't know. And I am in the made in the image of God. And both of those things can be true. Mm -hmm. But knowing that I'm in the image of God gives me the foundation or the strength to like change this, to go through the process of changing and transforming that, which is not whole in yeah. me. And that's a grace for us to, mm. you know, to be able to see that in others. As oh, well. Yeah, absolutely. But I, sometimes it's harder to see that in ourselves than it is to see that in others. That's true. Um, or sometimes we see it in others more, or we don't see it in others more clearly because we can't see it in ourselves. Right. I loved her reminder of that. Aurelia, I loved when she was talking about mystery Ugh. and how she leans into that mystery by watching the sunrise. I wish I could get up that early. I know you do. <laughs> I do, but I don't typically get to see the sunrise because I'm... Find a, a bike. bike in a dark room. Yeah, but that's okay. Um. <laughs> yeah, the idea that uh, also her reminder that she did it for years before she realized it was spiritual practice. Yeah. Um, she's challenged me to think about those things in my life that are spiritual practice that I've dismissed because they don't fit the thing, uh, like walking my dog. Right. Um, I keep trying to convince myself that I need a podcast to walk the dog hmm. so that it's productive. And yet I can never bring myself to do it. And she's reminded me that I think that's because it's spiritual practice mm. for me. It's it's leaning into that mystery and just kind of letting be what is um, instead of needing something to fill my ears. She's uh, mm. helped me see that today. Yeah. What about you? As How do you practice? Lean? I loved her muscle imagery. How mm. do you strengthen the muscles besides the bike? Of course. <laughs> well, no, I was thinking about mystery as kind of also feeding the soul mm. and sometimes whenever I feel like I need like my soul just needs something I really turn to music um like the other day I just really felt drawn to listen to classical music mm. that's not always my go-to like most of the times it'll be jazz ah. um I just love complicated rhythms and mm -hmm. syncopations and dissonance but this other day I just really had an urging to listen to Mozart and that was like mystery mm. to me yeah Ugh. I don't know how to explain it other than like my soul was settled in mm. the listening yeah and 
in the complications of all the notes and music and harmonies that was hmm. just god sent yeah i think if you could explain it it wouldn't be a mystery maybe mm. yeah um also love the paradox there of like the jazz and the classical but both can <laughs> tend to your soul absolutely um, yeah i'm really grateful for this conversation i think it's going to keep working on me for a while as i consider yeah mary's song when she reminded us that mary was um claiming her voice and celebrating a call that would not have been celebrated by others mm-hmm. um i can relate to that in some ways um yeah i wonder how it might inspire us all to sing a new song in a new way Hmm. a song of justice in this advent season yeah well kevin i think this is our last podcast in 2022 i survived you survived (laughs) you've been a great conversation never have i ever did they tell you about this in your interview no (laughs) this is like the other other duties duties. yeah Mm -hmm. yeah as assigned by Um, pastor i didn't think that I was going to enjoy it this much. But... Yeah, well, I've enjoyed hosting with you. Yeah, it's been fine. 2022, here we go. I hope you all have a blessed Advent season, that you are able to lean into the mystery, that you sing with Mary, that you see the places where your faith and your justice meet, and that we might together do something about that. Amen. And have a happy new year, y'all. As you go, go and love God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Do so as if it's the most important thing in all the world, because it is. Thank you for listening to Because It Is. These are just some of the things that matter to us at Second Baptist Church downtown. If you enjoyed this conversation, please visit us online at 2BCLR.com. That's the number two bclr.com and like us on Facebook. This podcast was produced by Brittany Stillwell and edited by Randy Schoenig with Fresh Air Media.